This is the podcast for July 20th, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just outside. America, America, God shed his grace on thee. It's the professional lefts with Drip Glass and Blue Gal. Hello. That's much better. Good. I just yanked the power supply out on my end. <laughs> so we're now live and on fire, baby. Yeah, well, we've had some technical difficulties with the sound. <laughs> yes, we have. Needless to say, it's given that more. it's 3.30 and we're re-recording at this moment. So, yeah, there's a an episode uh, that you will never hear um, that we are now going to just redo. Very much like Def Leppard. Def Leppard re-recorded their album so that they could put it on iTunes. Isn't that what they did? I believe that is correct, according to Stephen Colbert, <sighs> from whom I get all my news. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, this is take two, baby. And we've, um, we are recording on Friday. Uh, that was our original plan, was to record Friday morning. And, of course, we're all in a state of shock over the shooting in Colorado. Um, just unbelievable tragedy and uh we you know i'm not going to get into any political discussion of that period it just is not there's nothing that i can say that's going to add anything except to pray for the victims and their families by way of um a small addenda to the quality of this podcast as well i'm dragging today well, you were up till four in the morning writing a David Brooks post. Right, so. The longest David Brooks post ever recorded. Yeah. Um, so. And that's entirely on me that nobody made me do that, but it's about the work, work, work. And that thing had been just sort of clogging up my uh, mental processes for a long time, and I wanted to get it done. And mm-hmm. what it took was grinding at it for a couple of days and then finishing it. So has nothing to do with politics, has nothing to do with anything other than yeah. it, for those of you who, out there who are writers or artists or creative types or computer programmers, which I'm also one or used to be, um, sometimes you just lock onto a problem and you won't, your brain won't let it go until you finish it. So there's a, there's a cost to that, but it's worth <laughs> it because the work gets You're done. also used to working um, on two hours sleep on a computer program. So. I, am. I am. It used to be my career to be called in at two in the morning when someone else's god-awful, silly-ass compiler error uh, blew up substantial systems across many time zones and me and my team were the people who came in at the wee pre-dawn hours and fixed them mm-hmm. so that things could proceed and I, I loved that I really I thoroughly enjoyed that cowboy life um, it is no more uh, it is from uh, uh, three careers ago but that is something I can still sort of rise to should the occasion <laughs> require it but, warrant such a thing <laughs> you know there is something I want to say about Colorado um, I and, did write in my journal this morning, my new journal that your brother gave me for my birthday, yeah, yeah, which has awesome. Justin Bieber on the cover. <laughs> he gave me a blank notebook with Justin Bieber on the cover so that I can write shit in it and <laughs> not feel bad. He, it's always good to have really crappy notebooks to write in, by the way. A little writing tip. Well. He's, he's cool. My brother's but really nice. I had written a few pages of just being angry at the fact that Things are not going to change as a result of this tragedy. Right. And when I'd done that for a few pages, I finally got to the point of writing down this, that I want to ask the universe 
for a moment of consciousness where I embrace humanity as a good thing worth saving. And, you know, being a violent culture goes back to Cain and Abel. It goes back to gladiators and pre-gladiators and, you know, all throughout all of human history, there's been this, this nasty, awful side of things. And I just want to step back and recognize the good that humanity brings to the universe and mm-hmm. cling to that. So um, that yeah, that's same, much that's not always easy to do. The same species that produce someone who walks into a theater and opens up on a crowd with guns also produce people who discovered the God particle. Yeah. Well, although people that work in hospice care, you know, yeah. people that do wonderful, wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all bad, folks. And I know on days like today, it's so easy to sort of marry your rage and yeah. just be angry. Well, and uh, and I, I walk, I come at it from a, a little bit of a different angle. Not, not, I arrive at the same place, I believe, as you do, Blue Gal. But I, I come down to the particular and the specific um, need to recognize that our fellow human beings are actually real, live, three-dimensional creatures mm-hmm. who are as real as we are and as flawed as we are. We're all from the same gene pool, and they're not inanimate objects. They're not um, ciphers to be offed um, when they're inconvenient. Um, and I was thinking back, actually, to my to my computer programming days, but way, way back, and I was... During the pre-cable news days, I was at a party in the neighborhood where the police were hunting for a school shooter. Um, I think her name was Lori Dan, and everybody was terrified. Uh, But what nobody did was nobody found it necessary to invent a political theory or find a convenient political pigeonhole into which to shove the tragedy. To put it, it's it's this fault or this fault or this fault. What was clear, and the only thing that's clear at this point, which is Friday afternoon, is that a crazy person with a gun went in and to a place and killed a bunch of people. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows why. Uh, crazy people do th- crazy things. That's what they do. Um, but getting back to human nature, uh, Columbine, the Columbine shooting, also in Colorado spawned uh, you know any number of bad theories about why they did it from video games to uh, the matrix movies to whatever because people need to explain things like that we need to, we don't we don't just have a violent culture but we also have a, a storytelling culture human beings do that needs to explain um, famine war and inexplicable tragedy which is why we make up stories about volcano gods and why we make up stories about Yahweh being will, within his rights to wipe out Job's family. We need a narrative to explain inexplicably awful things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, that's why you know why things why bad things happen to good people is a bestseller. Yeah, it is because there's if no people reason. are looking for reasons why these things happen. And and I want to correct one thing, and that is, it's, in this particular instance, it's not a crazy person with a gun. It's a crazy person with lots of guns. Exactly. And yes. AK-47s. Yep. And, you know, the, the Columbine kids didn't have that much firepower. And 
down the road, I think that's something we need to address. And uh, the cost, I, you know, this was what the rage pages in my journal were about, yeah. or about, you know, it it just seems to cost too much politically for anybody to stand up to to guns. And ask questions about yeah. um, what Lawrence O'Donnell was saying about yeah. um, Gabby Gifford shooting, which was yeah. the first 10 bullets. After that, it's it was legislatively possible. Now, I don't know, you know, if you go in with a tank, um, if you go in with nine guns, um, yeah, th- this was not someone who grabbed a, a, a snub nose in, in a fit of passion and did something foolish. This was somebody who carefully planned and very premeditatedly wired their own house up to explode, mm-hmm. planned this out very carefully, planned the date, time, location. And the o- only thing I know really about this sort of thing is that our reluctance to kill each other increases as we see each other as human beings. Mm. And you've been talking about that all week, actually, yeah. that the yeah. seeing each other as human beings part of it. Why don't you talk a little bit about the kill a mockingbird you were yeah, talking yeah. about to kill a mockingbird yeah, with we, me we were, yesterday yeah that was a really good analogy to today i mean i'm kind of i'm kind of stunned at how what we were planning on talking about already <laughs> dovetails into today but i'm not going to question that <laughs> <Just> <laughs> well it's not it, mess with it but we, you were it, talking about to kill a mockingbird yesterday was, with me yeah i was talking about that specific scene the lynch mob scene in to kill a mockingbird and it was it, you know, the, my initial imperative or my initial intention of t- uh, regarding that scene was whether you like or dislike or agree or disagree with a particular policy that Barack Obama has, and there are many, many that you and I vehemently disagree with. That, to me, is is less um, of an of an immediate existential imperative than the fact that the people who oppose him are the lynch mob from. To kill a mockingbird. Mm-hmm. They just hate him. They don't want to talk about policy. They don't want to talk about budgets. They don't give a shit about deficits. They really don't. They don't care. They just are animated by a, a blind fury and a hatred. At the black guy. At the yep. black guy. At the black guy. Their white yep. And it doesn't and, matter if he's guilty or not. No. And, yeah. and they're going to go into the jail and kill him. They, mm-hmm. they want him out. They want him mm-hmm. out. They want him. They, they don't. They hate the idea of him. They want him wiped out of existence because mm-hmm. his very existence is an affront to them on every single level. That's and, and that's who has organized into a political party to oppose this president in a political context. That's why I can't – I'm sorry. At the end of the day, I ain't going to vote with the mob. I just – no, because a vote for – a vote against him is a vote for them. That's mm-hmm. how they will interpret it. That's how history will, will read it. However – um, I, I looked over that scene, and it's wonderful. It's Jim and Scout. I'm, it was uh, a few years ago, so I'm not going to give any spoilers away. If you haven't seen it already, shame on you. It's a great American movie. But Atticus Finch is sitting in front of a jail cell, and his client, who is accused of raping a white woman or, or attempting to, um, obviously false, obviously false charges. He's in the jail cell, and he's sitting in front with a lamp and a book guarding the cell and the mob shows up and he's like well you know the sheriff's around here somewhere and they say no he's not we basically distracted him the other side of town you're here by yourself and we're going in and there's nothing you can do about it and because he is a man of incredible integrity and great courage he physically and and um, intellectually stands up to the mob 
but they're going to win. <laughs> There's really no doubt that they're going to win until his kids show up because they've been watching this whole thing from cover. And Jem and Scout and the third kid, whose name I forget, but it's Truman Capote. If you <laughs> if you read, <laughs> if you, read you know the, the biography of the woman who wrote this, um, it's Truman Capote. That's that was her childhood friend. But Jem and Scout show up, and Jem, who's his son. Uh, he orders his son, Atticus orders his son to go home. And Jem says, no, sir, I won't. I'm not going to go home. And he, this is the first time he's really defied his father. But he is old enough to know what's about to happen. And he ain't leaving. He's going to stand with his father because his father's a good, right, good, right man who's doing the right thing. And um, somebody tries to make, <laughs> make him leave. And Scout, little Scout. Um, the little girl. She's a girl. girl. Yeah. Jump starts kicking him. Said, "Get your hands off my brother!" And it's Scout who breaks the mob up because mm-hmm. Scout looks out and sees doesn't see a mob. She sees Mr. Cunningham. She goes, "Hey, Mr. Cunningham, don't you remember me? I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm I forget I forget what her name is. Trisha something Finch. I go to school with your little boy. You gave us a bunch of uh, a bunch of pecans or, or hazelnuts. I forget what what they paid in. Um, don't you remember?" I like your son. He's a good boy. And Mr. Cunningham can't look at her. He's telling, mm-hmm. they're telling him, get your kids out of here, Atticus, because they're embarrassed. Well, they, and they don't want the kids to either experience the violence that they're about to commit or see them doing it. Right. They're yeah. embarrassed. They're, they, they, they still have the capacity to be shamed. And they're ashamed of what they're about to do, which is why they do it at night, and which is why they want the kids gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, Scout won't leave. She she looks at him and says, you know, entitlements, enti- entailments, entailments, entailments yeah, yeah. And you remember, oh, that this is the Mister Cunningham who who hired Atticus to help him um, with the bank foreclosing on his property. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And he was so poor he couldn't pay except in nuts. And that's how Atticus gets paid. He gets paid because these are poor poor white trash, and they pay him in. Nuts and and corn and hogs and turkeys and chickens, and but now he's a human being. Now he's not just that man who's standing between me and the object of my rage. Now he's my neighbor. He's that man who I hired. <laughs> he and and we see very clearly into this guy's shame. He's broke. He has nothing. He has, his, his property is about to be taken from him. And he is humiliated. And he wants to get rid of something that will make him feel better about being poor and white. The person that's lower than him in the yeah. community, and there's only one. And yeah. Has to yeah. Go, has to, he has to disappear. He has to, There's no way that, that they can stand the idea that this guy is – they have to take their rage out somewhere. And Scout breaks up their rage. She breaks it up unintentionally. By being a human being and asking this man about his life and their history together and his little boy. And this guy finally says, I'll tell Henry you said hello. And I remember you. And and suddenly he, he looks up and he looks directly at her and recognize her, recognizes her as a human being and recognizing his own shame. The terribly shameful thing that the mob had done that he would probably never do as an individual. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he said, okay, boys, let's go. And they cleared off. And they left. But it was that moment of, oh, my God, 
Yeah. I can't do this. And and if you look through any any history, our own history, World War II, um, which I happen to believe we were on the right side of, 100%, but every time you have a, 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 a tyranny that's trying to oppress a minority, whether it's women or gays or Irish or Jews in Germany, um, the first thing you have to do is dehumanize them. Make them well, black. and we did that to the Japanese. I mean, absolutely, oh, absolutely, we did. Look at our World War II propaganda. We did it yeah. to the Germans and we did it to the Japanese. I'm yeah. not saying anybody's innocent of this. Yeah, and first, so we it, could warehouse them. We could re- steal all their property and warehouse Japanese people because they're yeah. not human. Communists. Yeah, you know? communists. Absolutely. Communists. And you know what's interesting, Drift Class? I'm making a connection here to Michelle Bachman. Uh huh. And her calling Huma Abedin a Muslim Brotherhood terrorist, you know. The problem with that for Bachman was that people in D.C. know her. Exactly. They exactly. know Huma Abedin. Talk a little more about that. Well, I was um, connecting that because John Boehner is my vote for douchebag liar of the week. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, that's kind of a repeat award for him. But um, here's what. John Boehner said at a press conference, and he said, first of all, he lied with the first five words he said. He said, I haven't seen the letter that Bachman and the other four congressmen wrote about the Muslim Brotherhood threat within the State Department. Yeah, you want to tell, tell uh, some people might not know who Huma Abedin is. Huma Abedin is uh, Anthony Weiner's wife, who is uh, Hillary Clinton's right hand. Loyal, trusted aide for years and years. Yep. And her Hillary Clinton calls her her second daughter and very close uh, personal aide to Hillary Clinton for a long time. And everyone on Capitol Hill knows her. Yep. And knows how terrific she is and how awesome she how is. How hardworking she is. Yeah. That you, There's lots of pictures of her with Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. just being the right hand of Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, Michelle Bachman and these four other nut jobs, including including Louis Gomert, mm-hmm. uh, Louis Gomert, uh, uh, we'll get to him in a minute, yeah. um, wrote this heinous letter about, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood is infiltrating the State Department. Which, this is just, you know, out of the fifties. This is, it is this is Manchurian candidate bullshit. This is this is at, well, Alan West. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Unknown communists in in the Congress. It's it's, ju- it's just unbelievable. These five Congress people need to be drummed out of the Congress. For- and that's the, and here's the lesson. I mean, I, I don't want to jump to because there's there's no big moral sort of great moral um, lesson at the end of this. But the lesson for me is how fast this happens. Yeah. How you, how you think? Oh, fuck it. You know, the United States we don't behave like that. Okay. You know, you know, way in the back in the Stone Age period. Yes. You know, Joe McCarthy fooled a lot of people because mm-hmm, he was a. Mm-hmm. But boom! Suddenly, Michelle Bachman, Louis Gohmert, um were holding hearings, and yeah. the entire Bush era was a study in demonizing people and dehumanizing people, which was part of a much longer effort that was begun really in the eighties mm-hmm. um, under uh, Rush Limbaugh and in the nineties by Newt Gingrich to make it okay to talk about liberals as if we are, we are subhuman. Yeah, as if well, we're not worth, and, and that's what makes it easy for us to be categorized, caricatured, and ultimately shoved aside. At, well, and but the problem is that, as as I said, Huma Abedin is well known. She's a exactly. well known quantity in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. So here's 
John Boehner said, I haven't seen the letter. Uh, like, he doesn't have Internet access, you know. <laughs> Let us show it to you here. I haven't seen yeah. the birth certificate. I haven't seen the, you know, okay. I haven't seen the letter, but. And I don't know Huma. I don't know her. Right, okay. But from everything I do know of her, this is amazing. This is an amazing statement. But from everything I do know of her, she has a sterling character. Boehner pointed out. And I think accusations like this being thrown around are pretty dangerous. Now, that is such a (laughs) passive voice statement, right? And so the reporter asked... Would you consider taking Michelle Bachman off the Intelligence Committee? Well, <laughs> and his answer was, I don't know that that's related at all. Yeah. And so, you know, the shit coming out of Michelle Bachman's mouth is not connected to her position within the Republican Party as a satisfier of the Tea Party id. That's what's going on. And, and she is she is there. She and and a bunch of other people like her, but she's certainly the most prominent one. She's the one who ran for president. She's mm-hmm. the one who won the first straw poll. Um, and it, and she, you know, she for a minute was a major player on the national stage and has been as a crazy bomb throwing lunatic for years. She was the last person to get a full Ginsburg as far as being on all five Sunday shows. She was, and she and the list of her crazy pronouncements about Barack Obama diverting a fifth of the U.S. Navy to India or something like that. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, just crazy, crazy, Just crazy, made crazy up crazy this shit. stuff, yeah. And that he spent, what did he spend, like a billion dollars on security for his trip to India? Yeah. It was some sort of crazy amount that couldn't even be in the Pentagon budget. Yeah, it was, it, he, he took the entire Navy there, stripped the armed forces bare, spent untold billions of dollars for his personal lavish lifestyle on this silly little trip vacation trip none of which was true and she's again she she reads stuff on the internet or the voices in her head tell her things and then she opens her mouth and out comes the crazy which happens to lots of people well and the crazy is believed by a a segment of her party there's the problem. And right? they won't and and there are this. enough people who will not cross her because of the crazy people in the party. Well, enough people in her party believe her enough to elect her and think yeah. of her as an awesome mom yeah, and a real yeah. great Christian lady. And enough people there's enough crazy people in her district to elect her and there's enough crazy people in the country to give her a platform starting with sitting with Sean and talking about freedom and liberty on Fox News forever. Mm-hmm. And it is so evident, and this is where this is where I don't know what to do. This is where I, 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 my ability to sort of diagnose and fix the problem in my own mind, which never would never go anywhere, but at least I could see a way out, a way forward. We try. What happened? What What do you do? Who Who among us will be scout? You know? Yeah. Who Who? How do you break through to people? who have been told for 30 years that you're a subhuman, lying, America-hating fifth-columnist monster who is bent on destroying America. And every argument they make is based on that. And every time you refute that argument, the the rebuttal to your refutation is, well, yeah, but you're still a a despicable, loathsome fifth-columnist. Well, the person that is refuting that every day is Barack Obama. And that's that's why they feel they have to destroy him, is because he is standing up as a fully informed 
engaged citizen of this country who is a good man with a good family. Mm-hmm. And everything that this mob wants to believe about African Americans, about the elite, about you know, all of the lies that they're telling, him standing there refutes that, which is why they have to go against even their own policies to destroy him. And, and, and go ahead. Oh, but, and they have responded because this is the, the joke I made when people suggest that we try to be reasonable and compromise is that we tried that. It was called the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And look what happened. It, it didn't slow them down one bit. We got a, we got a lot of Republican initiatives passed. We got an impeachment. We got a, we got years of hearings and we got and none of these people were persuaded to stop behaving like crazy people. And and the problem is. The reasonable, any rational, intelligent person. This is something we, we talked about in our pre-pre-game. The problem we have as liberals is we keep playing to the political audience, to pl- keep playing to the house, keep keep engaging in this debate as if there's a referee. Yeah. As if some neutral third party, as if some fair witness, as if some Walter Cronkite will descend from the sky smack them on the head, declare us the winner, and that'll be that. There is no referee. They can make this shit up all day long because they know there's nobody coming. There's no adult no, supervision. It's going to be Wolf Blitzer reporting well, the controversy. That's the best you're going to get. Yeah. That's the last yeah. we have. And so they are free. They're absolutely mm-hmm. liberated. We're still stuck. On the, A lot of us are still stuck with this delusion that if we just persuaded them, just found the right words, the right chart, the right graph, the right history. Look, here on YouTube – all the shit you believe is bullshit, and here's overwhelming evidence. The answer is, well, of course, that's what a liberal would say. And they dig down deeper into their own crazy until they've become May- – from from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, they become Mayella Yule. Yeah. They become this Just ranting, lose their minds. lunatic yep. who, who – if you're not mad enough to do this, that man attacked me. And everyone in the courtroom knows she's lying yep. and knows she's crazy. And knows there's some really deep emotional, psychological, um, and sexual damage problems with her. Yeah, yeah, caused by her husband and or father and or family. Her dad having sex with her. Yeah, I mean, there's some weird stuff going on in that family. Every single juror is going to vote to convict her. Right, because convicting her goes against everything that society stands for they can't they face can't that. face supporting the black guy over the crazy woman and, and that so really is it's, it's fascinating that that's how we've you know we've gotten to the point where you're going to support orly tates over barack obama because yeah. your whole worldview the blood in your veins will not allow you to you're going to vote for a white convict in right. west virginia who's in jail right now rather than vote for Barack Obama, because you just can't. Um, I want to read a letter that we got this yeah. week, Driftglass. Um, it's from a longtime correspondent with us, who uh, I'm going to protect his identity, but he used to work in Hollywood for the Hollywood Entertainment Conspiracy. <laughs> And his job was outsourced, so that, enough said. That's that's all I'm going to say about him. Hello, um, fellow trader. Yeah. Hello, fellow trader. Mm-hmm. And he writes um, to both of us, but he says, uh, Fran, I hope you had a wonderful birthday. Yes, I did. Thank you. 
and a great start to your week. I have questions for you two in your capacity as Internet experts on all things morality related. Okay. <laughs> I, as I as I said uh, on a previous occasion, um, if nominated, I shall not run. <laughs> if elected, I shall not serve. Boy, are you asking the wrong guy. But okay, proceed. Proceed with the letter here. I recently got into a lengthy debate with a neighbor from Arkansas who is one who thinks the Tea Party is awesome and has the same principles as the Founding Fathers. All right. She was wondering why gays want marriage rights and says that it's stupid to try, given that the divorce rate for gays is the same as for straights. Now, pause it. Pause and swirl that around. Yeah, in your... How does she Taste know that. these things? Well, what who told her that? Who, from, <laughs> what from divorce rate from what? Married. Yes. <laughs> so let's just yeah. proceed. Yeah, okay. Proceed. Thank you. Go not along, to mention, right? not to mention, she thinks the reason there's so much violence on television is Hollywood's fault and that they're doing it because they want to desensitize us. You know, it's some sort of huge conspiracy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the truth is, we put that on TV because it's what sells. It's all money. If This is our correspondent writing. If happy, nonviolent things sold as much and were as cheap to make, you can bet the airwaves would be littered with all Bambi all the time. It doesn't happen like that because people turn out and pay big bucks for explosions and light plots that don't require them to think. I'm not making a statement about the people of the world or America. This is just a fact. Violence and sex are what sells the best and are cheapest to make. My Tea Party friend also thinks Obama hates America. Yeah. <laughs> really? Uh, and also, we're being whiny babies for making things that cast America in a negative light. Yes. <sighs> you mean like Republicans? <laughs> Michelle Bachman does, in fact, cast America in a bad light. She makes us look stupid. So let's stop making those, shall we? Yep. Even, then he then he continues, and I'm, I've edited this letter for length, but he continues. Even on the left, there are very few people who are on the side of people who make films in Hollywood. I stopped listening to another podcaster specifically because he attacked my job as being evil and wrong and characterized people who work in Hollywood as opportunists. And, you know, you and I talked about that this morning, that I, I was thinking about one of my favorite movies, The Matrix, which you mentioned earlier. Yes. And that scene where Neo, the the sysop asked Neo, what do you need? What do you need? It's near the end where he's doing the whole... Are you going to make me guess about a scene from The Matrix? No, I'm not because you will do it right away. That's that's all on RAM right now. You you can just pick that up. Well, remember, it's near the end when they're going to have the big final battle scene and Neo and Trinity are in a big white room. Uh, with nothing, and symbolizes birth. Blue guy. Birth. Okay. Okay. Whatever. And and the sysop on the other side of the matrix says, "What do you need? What do you need?" And what is what does Neo say? Guns. Lots of guns. And all of a sudden, whoosh, yes. he's got he's got a arsenal, an arsenal stretched to infinity. Mm-hmm. It just slides up like a train behind him, an and he's infinite. got this arsenal and. Everyone cheers when that happens. You know, yeah. all these guns. And yeah. here we are dealing with a day where a bad person had too many guns. Well, and that's 
that's true. That's that that point is is perfectly valid. But I would ask you, and this is this sort of goes to movie and entertainment as well. That violent, you know, we make violent, sexy, violent movies because they sell. The the another scene to consider, counterposed to this one, mm-hmm. is the subway scene where he and Agent Smith are squaring off against each other, and and from the debris, the quiet, the silence, the distance they are apart, the way their arms are held at their sides and their guns are being held, the camera and the upshot camera angle from below, the debris that's gently blowing across their path like tumbleweed, it's fucking high noon. And every shot is done like high noon. You're right. Yeah. It is. It's, yeah. it's a cowboy movie. It's a yep. classic yep. Western. And, and yes, violence in movies is what sells, but Violence in literature is what sells. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 some of the finest American movies are of the Western genre, hard boiled um, detective genre. Some of my very favorites, some of the best genre movies ever made, are violent, but they're violent to, for a purpose. We want the good guy to win mm-hmm. and the bad guy to lose, mm-hmm. and, and you can't get a more ancient story than the hero overcoming the villain. Um, despite the being overmatched by cleverness, speed, um, agility, and violence, beating him, beating him, and killing him, and burying him, and making himself the winner. Is that There's, why you like Breaking Bad so much? Well, please. <laughs> we, we are going to do a, have to do a whole show on Breaking Bad and on spoilers. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we had an exchange, an email exchange with a listener this week, and I agreed, and I I do agree that. Uh, spoilers when it comes to the current episode or perhaps even the current season mm-hmm. of Breaking Bad when people are trying to catch up is fair. Yeah. Previous seasons and expecting, oh, no, I'm still trying to catch up on season three. No spoilers. Yeah, there's there's got to be a you, if you're if you're if you're TiVoing it or you don't have cable because of your angry at the cable company or whatever, fine. I, Drift Glass went without cable for a decade. For my, my, my adult life. It's yeah. Down here, really. And, and watch things on video. But the price you pay for saving that money is, you know, stay off the internet and put earplugs in because people are going to talk about TV shows, you know. So, for example, um, turn down the volume if you don't want to know what's going to happen next week. On <laughs> no, we, prom- we promised I, and we agreed I that we were not going to do this. I, I know, but just, just I'll, all I can say is this. Walter White um, steps out of the shower and it turns out it was all a dream. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I, I know I ruined it for you, but... Um, Walt's brother-in-law discovers the detective did it. <laughs> Yes, Walt's brother-in-law is the detective. He's actually the criminal behind all of the evilness that's been going on. And his uh, wife also, is Kaiser Soze. She is. <laughs> Kaiser fucking Soze. And, uh, and the chick um, in the crying game, which is the movie they're watching, uh, when we discover all this, is not really a lady. Yeah, so um, watch out for that. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> What, and, a, what uh, else? Did, it turns did, out Bruce Willis is actually dead the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, amazing. It completely <laughs> threw me. I had no idea. Oh brother. And, anyway, spoilers. We don't. Okay. We are not going to do actual spoilers. No. And we no. promise you, on um, Breaking Bad for for this current fifth season, until the season's completely over, we won't 
do that. But well, and, and Breaking Bad is going to come up in the podcast. But the but I wanted to ask you about that because Breaking Bad is one of those th- one of those anti-hero movies too. Yeah. Where you know, guns are the enemy in that show a lot of the time. Bad bullets and good bullets and bad guns and good guns and well, there. I mean, this is this is. Um, and people who are drug dealers are the people you're supposed to be rooting for. It's a terrific entertainment for the Great Recession. Yeah. Because yeah. it really does. It, it is. You know, if you saw Falling Down with Michael Douglas, which was you know a very similar movie, um, it's it's a middle class guy who um, did all the right things and everything just fell apart. And he has he and he and all of the institutions, all of the preparations, all of the things he had done to to get himself ready for success in life have vanished. And he's stuck with a family he can't support and a fatal disease and and this skill set there's no other application really where he can turn it to immediate immense profit other than making drugs. And it is not a glorification of drug use. It is Watching what pressures can be brought to bear on a fairly normal, typical, white, upper-middle-class, middle-aged man that will turn him into a monster. And it tracks that step by step and says, Here's, here, are the ways that, here are all the ways that dominoes could fall. Here are the three choices you have available to you. <laughs> Which one are you going to choose? They're all awful. They're all terrible. This is, it's a very mortal story. You know, they're all, all the choices are flawed. They're all bad. And they all lead to other consequences that are unforeseeable, but probably even worse. So what do you do? And the reason I like it, and the reason I hated Lost, and I hated the last season of Lost, and the reason that, that all the other spoilers, a few of the other spoilers, like, like the Dallas spoiler, is the writers cheated. The writers fucking cheated. They, they, I, I admired, for example, the, the writing of Tony Hillerman. Tony Hillerman wrote um, detective stories, still writes detective stories, I think. And one of the things I remember reading about the way one of his stories was built was he cornered his hero in a literally in a closet in a museum, I think, and couldn't figure a way to get his hero out. And, and himself, in his own mind, sat there and sat there in the Dan closet for days or weeks until he figured out a plausible, reasonable, clever way to get his hero who doesn't have a gun out and away and safely away from bad men who are coming for him who do have guns. And he did it without cheating. Um, I admire writers who write themselves into corners. Do you think that L. Frank Baum cheated in The Wizard of Oz? In in, uh, in having in Dorothy home. wake up from getting her head hit, and we d- we don't really know if Oz is a dream because it's based on everybody she knew in Kansas. But do you think that's a cheat? No, I think it. I think it is. It's told. I think the the break between black and white Kansas or sepia tone Kansas. And well, now we're crossing the movie with the book, Richard. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> but let's I'm talk sorry. about the movie, because that's what most people are familiar the with. The movie but. makes a very clear break in terms of tone and location between the real world and the fantasy world. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly okay to shoot to shoot alternate realities and dream sequences um, that are clearly labeled as such. Mm-hmm. I think that when you 
when you get your when you paint what lost again lost did this when you paint yourself into such a corner that you can't explain what the hell that you're talking about and you keep making up more and more bizarre complex theories about why all your loose ends really do make sense but we'll reveal it next week um that's fine i think mark twain was the guy who said you know in, in, in writing a novel you make a promise in the first chapter that you keep in the second chapter and the second chapter, you make another promise that you keep in the third chapter. And you keep escalating it by, uh, by creating tension, by creating uh, situations that your hero has to move through, and then not cheating your way out of them, giving your audience genuine um, relief, catharsis, at the end of each moment until you're done with the novel. But it's, and it's perfectly okay to have psychological novels, interior novels, uh, play, uh, things that take place in heaven and hell. Dante wrote a whole lot about that. Um, but it is it is unfair to at the eleventh hour. If you don't show me the gun on the wall in the first act, don't pull it out of your ass in the third act and use it. I hate to use a gun metaphor, but that's Anton Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it is cheating to in the in the eleventh hour at the final act pull out some element that you had no idea was there. Uh, you just pulled it out of thin air and said, "Oh, by the way." The little boy fell out of bed and it was all a dream. That is unfair. That mm-hmm. is absolutely cheating from a literary and from an artistic point of view. And those are the kind of movies I really do hate. Those are the kind of cheap-ass movies that I, I think are unfair to the audience. But I think there is a political uh, angle to what you're saying about writing because – Part of what political parties do is write a narrative about their candidate and about their vision for the candidate. Yeah. And what I what I am finding fascinating, this really does connect to everything that we've said so far in this podcast. Um, the narrative of the Romney campaign, the narrative they're they're attempting to write is that you know Barack Obama's failed the economy and therefore you should trust this businessman. And the narratives are falling apart because. He doesn't want to reveal the parts of the story that would back up his plot. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. the other thing is that well, in the existing Luke Al is yeah. his tax return is the MacGuffin. It's the MacGuffin. It is. It is totally absolutely the MacGuffin. And anyone who doesn't know what the MacGuffin is, Google the, MacGuffin and Hitchcock. That's it's the, it's the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. Yep. It's, it's, the, it's thing. the thing. It's, it's the and thing Hitchcock everybody. called it the MacGuffin, but it's whatever the thing is that everybody wants to get, or everybody wants to hide, or hide. It's, yeah, but it's it's the object that drives the plot that yep. everyone has a vested interest in getting rid of or getting a hold of. Yep. Every and Bond movie has a MacGuffin. Every absolutely. <laughs> you'll find absolutely. out it's it's the plans or the. The microfilm, that's that's a really good example, actually, in um, that Cary Grant, actually, Alfred Hitchcock movie. Uh, which one Victoria? is it? Eva, with Eva Marie Saint. Oh, um, North by Northwest. North by Northwest. Mm-hmm. You know, the MacGuffin is the microfilm. I got it. Yeah. Everything is about it. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what's on the microfilm. No. Nobody ever <laughs> discusses what it is. No. It's this thing. And he wants to get away with it, and it's important to get it, and everything flows from that. But yeah, the MacGuffin is the tax returns. I like this. I like this. <laughs> you like where this is going? Yeah, yeah. But here's so here's true. the deal: it, if you don't give the audience the MacGuffin, and this is what is so beautiful about what John Stewart 
is doing, it is necessary to write the MacGuffin for you. Yes, it is. And so what what's happening on John Stewart is he and his writers are having a ball writing. <laughs> right. I mean, I think at the end of his of his shtick last night, he said something about yes, we really did say that uh, Mitt Romney beats Swiss people until his money comes out of their butts. You know. <laughs> yes, we did say because that because th- because that's. Because they get to write that because he won't release his tax returns. But what's happening on this in quote-unquote serious media is a narrative is being written of a campaign out of control. And actually, a couple of people have said committing malpractice against their candidate. And that was mentioned a lot yesterday in terms of um, – uh, Lawrence said something about cutting Ann Romney loose and putting her on Good Morning America and not preparing her past one soundbite so that when anyone asked a follow-up question, she had she came out of her soul came the words, you people, you know, and 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 Lawrence O'Donnell, who is very tough on everybody and is not a and who's a television writer. He, he's writer. a television writer, but he's also not a forgiving person. No, he's not so. He's Irish. Irish. He's got that Irish in him, <laughs> and he and you can particularly tell when he's talking about Rush Limbaugh. He does not pull punches at all. What but he said, "I don't blame Ann Romney." He said, "I don't blame Ann Romney. She wasn't prepared by her campaign." And so these, in again, it's that inside the Beltway thing of with Huma Abedin. We know her, so you can't make up shit about her. We know most of us have worked on a campaign or have worked in a Senate office or have done something related to actually getting someone elected. And so when you say to us, uh, Ann Romney is the most competent person on our campaign, we don't have to prepare her, that doesn't jibe with what we already know. Right. And we're going to call you on that. And, and if... If the narrative then in their heads, if in, in the serious media, quote unquote, heads, is this is a campaign that is not run well, that's going to color every story that they tell of how is the Romney – it's going to be how is the Romney campaign screwing up as a campaign. Well, and the, the – And then the MacGuffin of the to- – getting back to the tax returns, yeah. the, the vacuum that is created – of why don't we have this? Why 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 is it an issue? <laughs> it's, a, it's a big blank canvas yep. that you're begging people to write to graffiti, to to paint in whatever they want. And you and can the be only funny about it, or you can just say, you know, it's because he's a billionaire. It's because yeah. he had he had three years where he paid zero. He had another year where he got a refund. There's a and none of that may be true. We don't know. But there's the, 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 this blank canvas is surrounded by a palette of a very mm-hmm. limited type. Mm-hmm. Mitt Romney automaton, Mitt mm-hmm. Romney uh, corporate raider, Mitt Romney billionaire, potential billionaire. There's nothing – Billionaire that, who doesn't pay taxes and wants another tax cut right. for him and his buddies. And there's no way to take those colors and fill in that canvas and make it look good. Yeah. And I don't mean legal. I and, mean and thinks cutting that, Social Security and Medicare is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and yeah. Exactly. And, and the entire democratic narrative is the system is rigged against you. Yep. 
the, the system is bought and paid for by people like Mitt Romney. Mitt, like Mitt Romney, yep. And, and look, his tax returns are the perfect um, manifestation, it, the, the, uh, the autopsy. The forensic autopsy on his tax returns shows just how completely the system is rigged to fuck you over and to make him and make people like him rich forever. And that, but I think what he's also he also may be doing they they also might be doing is you know Sarah Palin left a marker she left a torch to get all Olympic on your ass <laughs> um, for someone to pick up which is don't respond to the media. Only go on Fox Media. Yeah. Refuse to answer questions, and every time you're asked a gotcha question like uh, "Where's Africa?" Yeah. What's yeah. in your tax return? Refuse to answer it and turn it into a gotcha question from the liberal media. So it's I could, just an excuse to attack. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem is, um, Mitt Romney's a robot. And Sarah Palin is a rabid dog, <laughs> and mm-hmm. she knows instinctively to go for the jugular. She she has this whole um, vicious, um, peevish anger against Barack Obama, who pals around with Terrence. This just stuff flows out of her like the mighty Mississippi. It's part of her nature. Mitt Romney doesn't yet know how to do that act. He does. He, he performs it as if he is performing. Um, some sort of card trick for the first time. He doesn't know how to get mad at the media um, in an indignant way about these 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 impertinent questions without sounding like Thurston Howell the Third. Yeah, right. And so it might be he's trying the strategy of "fuck you, the liberal media is out to get me," but you can't say that when you sound like Thurston Howell the Third. Yeah, yeah. The only, thing that, the, the only way that works is if you sound like Sarah Palin. And you completely, viscerally connect with your um, really ignorant, angry, uh, conspiracy-minded base. And Romney can't square that circle. He just no. can't be that person. And he can't, certainly can't learn the next hundred days how to be that person. So that leaves him with a problem. He All it looks like is some rich dick who won't even do what his father did and who, for inexplicable reasons, keeps bending over and asking Barack Obama to put his foot up his ass. And that's not making his base happy. It's not making his bank, uh, backers happy. It's not making David Gergen happy. Yeah, so, I was going to say, the number of Republicans who've now just pretty much decided that Romney's going to lose and they don't want to be there when that happens <laughs> is is getting – It's the, the number is climbing. Yeah. It's not yet the end of July. No, that's I mean, the point. Who knows? But, point. but so far – remember when everybody was sure that Europe was going to collapse and that was yeah. going to kill Barack Obama? That was going to wipe him out? Well – Okay, that might still be a plan somewhere, but right now it's it's looking like a very um, long, hot summer. And if yeah. Mitt Romney keeps doing shit like this, um, it's going to be just vastly entertaining, if nothing else. Speaking of long, hot summers. <laughs> Our air conditioning went out this week. <laughs> we still haven't gotten the bill for that. I I don't think it's going to be that bad. Cross your fingers. Cross your I fingers. I got my fingers crossed. But uh, Scott Walker, you want to talk about? Oh, I do want to talk about Scott. Do I have to talk about Scott Walker? I'm going to talk about Scott Walker just for a minute because Scott Walker, my favorite theocrat, <laughs> now did this week theocrat of the week, tweeted. Imagine if Noah had needed help from the government to build the ark. It might never have been built. 
And the best response I heard was uh, on Facebook. <laughs> Someone wrote, imagine if Noah had been governor of Wisconsin. <laughs> he would have fired everyone who knew how to build an ark. <laughs> and just as a footnote to that, by the way, Drift Glass, I, didn't, I don't know if you heard, but Scott Walker is now seeking drought relief from the federal government. Ha, ha, ha. You know, not, not, <sighs> I feel bad for the farmer. I, I, yeah, of course you do. And this is a normal but, thing to do, but don't be a fuck. don't elect a fucking hypocrite. Yeah, what, when, when asking for drought relief for your state that is suffering from a drought becomes a politically charged thing to do, you know yeah. you've gone down the rabbit hole. Well, and when you've already turned down transportation money for high speed rail in your state. And I just want to clarify two things with Scott Walker. The first is, um, back in those days, Scott, the government was the religion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the people, if if you're really concerned about overreaching government and, and government getting in, all up in your business, imagine what happens when the church is the government and they can burn you for heresy and burn you for witchcraft and torture you to make you convert. That's what it looks like when, when religious people directly run the government. When you lean on things like Noah – as as a way of making a critique of government policy, you dumbass. Secondly, I never understood why God, God just miracle an ark out of nowhere. Yeah. God can miracle a whole bunch of shit. God can miracle mountains. He can make weather. He can wipe out whole cities. He, can, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, for God's sakes. But apparently, <laughs> supplying Noah with a fucking boat was way past his capacity. No, here are the plans. Here's the blueprints. But you, I want you to do all the fucking labor. Really? Why? I don't get that. Why don't you just make an ark? Well, that's a, that's a different podcast for a different day. <sighs> we want to thank our listeners. You guys are great. And you thank you for all of the nice birthday wishes. I had a lovely birthday weekend. My birthday was Monday. And uh, Drift Class took me out to lunch that day. But we also had a nice weekend with his family, his brother and uh, soon-to-be sister-in-law and uh, mom. All, we all had wonderful cake with, with your nieces. And uh, we had atomic cake, which is so good. Oh my gosh! There's a there's a picture of the atomic cake on my blog, and it's just it's f- like four layers of yellow and chocolate cake with chocolate pudding and ch- vanilla pudding and bananas and strawberries and whipped cream and frosting and you can only like, get it. You can only get it outside of Chicago. Just one bakery. Yeah, and it's, it's so like- good. It's like fairy gold. If you try to it's, take it, it is just so good. Away, it, it just it, dissolves. So yeah, yeah. But, but it is. It. It's it's like it's like a beautiful, beautiful piece of heaven. And I think your mom said it best. She said, "There's no way to cut a small piece of atomic no. cake. <laughs> can't yeah. You can't do it. You just got to have a big piece." It was delicious, and I, we had a great time. Thank you for uh, all of your kind words on Facebook and at my blog. I just had a great birthday. I want to do a little bit of a shout out to my mom and dad who celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary on Wednesday. Yeah. And I was 49 on Monday and they had their 50th wedding anniversary on Wednesday. And as my dad would say, that's more than nine months. I'll save you some math. Ha 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 ha. So <laughs> that's I think my mom never having a dull moment is how they got through 50 years. <laughs> but happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. And you can listen to our podcast for free at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, at our Facebook page, and I'm Francis Langham, L-A-N-G-U-M, on Facebook, 
friend me and I'll friend you back. We're on iTunes and through our fabulous app available at the iTunes store. We're on the amazing Stitcher Radio and we are on Netroots Radio from 6 to 7 Pacific and 9 to 10 Eastern Saturday nights at netrootsradio.blogspot.com. I want to do a shout out to Netroots Radio. They had their laptop stolen um, within the past couple of weeks. And so uh, good thoughts to them as they get everything recovered. You can contribute to the podcast at our website or by sending a contribution to our P.O. Box, which is P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. There's also a PayPal button at our website. Feel free to write us or email us. Our email address, which goes to both of us, is proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Every week we post a picture of an Internet kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitty is Toby, and there's a picture of Toby playing cat games on an iPad <laughs> on our website and also at our Facebook page. Uh, thank you for sending pictures of your Internet Kitty. You send them to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Please put Internet Kitty in the subject line of your email so that we don't lose your Internet Kitty. Um, our listenership's gone way, way up again. Uh, it, there just seems to be a steady stream of increase in listenership. We're so grateful to you uh, for your contributions, for your letters, for your emails, and for your support of the work that we do every week. Even when we get to it late, it's because we've been working on it all day. <laughs> yeah. and, and please, if, if you're a relatively new listener, please do let us know via email if you can. Or Facebook, yeah. Because this is... I mean, this is a nice problem to have. It's not really yeah. a problem, but it's it's freaking me out a little bit. I I mean, we're going up. Listenership is going up at a geometric rate almost. Yeah, yeah. The last few weeks, which is very gratifying, but also uh, a bit. Let me just say that we have about six times the listenership that we had on Mother's Day. Yeah, that's is- that's how fast the podcast has grown, and we know where some of that is coming from. We figure that people increase their podcast listenership over Netroots Nation and Take Back America conferences. We saw a little shoot up then, but there's more to it than that, and we're, we're still trying to figure it out. And it's hard on – there's no way to trace it on iTunes, and there's no way to trace it through our podcast provider actually where people are coming from. So if you uh, found us recently, let us know how. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do feel free to write us. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email on the air unless you say otherwise. So, Drift Glass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties hope they never, ever have to hear Mitt Romney sing ever again. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2012. Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast.